blows like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how
This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm always glad to have this opportunity to come and have opportunity of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. Thank you for joining us, and I trust it will be a blessing to you. Our scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Would you hear, please, the word of God? Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All other kingdoms are shakable. The kingdom of tyranny is shakable. It's built by force. Relax the force, and the kingdom falls to pieces. All our communism. The kingdom of capitalism is shakable. You just let something unusual happen in the United States or around the world, and suddenly the stock market will plunge. The kingdom of personal health is shakable. We go to the doctor, he examines us, he shakes his head and says, listen, you've got to have an immediate operation. Everything is shakable but the kingdom of God. Everything. Not long ago, I was meeting with Bishop James King and the extended session of the South Georgia Conference, the Cabinet, and we were discussing Jim Collins' book, How Nations Fall. It was about the decline of nations. It was about the decline of companies, how these companies would simply decline and decay, and some of them would rise again. Shakeable, everything is shakeable, but the kingdom of God. Listen to this. The writer of Hebrews understands when he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're told by those who know that every great leader that has ever arisen in the history of the world has come possessed with one master thought. Socrates had a master thought, the immortality of the soul. Buddha had a master thought, the renunciation of life. Martin Luther had a master thought, the freedom of the individual. And Jesus Christ, the greatest leader who has ever arisen among humankind, had a master thought as well. What was his master thought? His master thought was the kingdom of God. We're told in the Gospels that the kingdom of God is mentioned more than 100 times. Jesus' first sermon, the first sermon he ever preached, had to do with the kingdom of God. Mark tells us that he simply said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The last sermon he ever preached was when he came back from Calvary to visit with his own, and according to the book of Acts, we are told that he spoke to them 
of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the great possession of Jesus Christ. That possessed his spirit. That possessed his life. So what did he say about the kingdom of God? He told us we needed to put that kingdom first. And if we did, all these other things will be added unto us. All of our needs will be met. But if we happen to put something else first, all of these other things will fall away and life will go sour. That's essentially what we are being told. And so as I said, Jesus was possessed with the kingdom of God. And so he said to his disciples, I'm getting ready to send you out. You'll have the power to cast out demons. Preach as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. First of all, the work of the kingdom is healing. As we know, these disciples were told to do more than simply to talk. They were to do something. They were to cleanse, cast out. They were to raise. They were to do many things. In other words, they were to involve themselves in the hurts of the world. God's kingdom has to do with physical healing, but it has to do with much more than that. It has to do with physical, mental, societal healing of all beings. Stating it in this way, God's disciples are to be healers in this society. The work of the kingdom is healing. There was a professor at Loyola University that said whenever someone is touched by God, it will last in several ways. First of all, it will pass the time test. When a person is touched by God, a permanent change will come into that person's life. That person will be different, never the same again. And then secondly, when a person is touched by God, it will pass the reality test. We will not be drawn to an otherworldly posture. We will be concerned about this world. We will not be drawn to private towers of private efficacy. We would be pulled out into the world and we would see how important our own ministry is. And then it also passes the charity test. The charity test. How important it is to know that it passes the charity test. The most glowing production of God is the production of a loving person. It's when a go-getter becomes a go-healer. A go That's what we are talking about when we talk about healing in terms of the kingdom of God. A go-getter becomes a go-giver, a healer, if you please. So how can we be about God's work in the world, his healing work in the world? First of all, we need to understand that charity does not begin at home, as some people will mistakenly think. Charity begins everywhere and all at the same time. That is, if it's connected to the kingdom of God. So what is this work of the kingdom? In a world of injustice, it is dealing with justice. In a world of brokenness, it is dealing with wholeness. In a world of discord, it is dealing with peace. In a world of problems, it is a, a world of solving those problems, always involved in charity. A dean of a certain seminary said he'd been in the seminary that morning dealing with the business of the seminary. And he said he went to a chapel service and while he was in the chapel service, he was still dealing with the business of the seminary. He thought they had an invocation and a hymn, but he was indifferent to the whole thing. But then he, he heard somebody make announcements. He was indifferent to that. But then somebody stood up and said something along this lines, what do we need to pray for today? 
he said immediately nine people jumped to their feet and they began to ask for special prayers. The dean said he had come to be indifferent, but when he started hearing those prayers about people who were in the hospital, people who were in traffic accidents, people who had gone through various crises, broken homes and broken marriages, he realized that he was participating in the hurts of the world. They all were. The work of the kingdom is healing. A drunk said, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Joe was a wonderful man. Joe would do anything for anybody. He would help the drunk to get home. He would help the drunk to get in bed. He would clean the toilet. Joe would do anything. And so this old drunk said, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Somebody said, don't you mean make me like Jesus? And he replied, is he like Joe? Is he like Joe? John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus. And they said, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Jesus said, go tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Those who are deaf are able to hear. Go tell John what you see and hear. The work of the kingdom is healing. And then secondly, the work of the kingdom is done by ordinary people. It's done by ordinary people. If you've ever visited the great cathedrals of Europe, when you look at those stained glass windows, you suddenly think, well, you know, these apostles have a halo around their heads, or they are super religious. But what we need to remember is those apostles were just common, everyday people. They were notable for their humanness, and we need to remember that. How were these apostles chosen to be apostles? It wasn't because they had outstanding brain power or because they had outstanding gifts. They were just Galileans, nobodies, people with no education, people who were just on the realm of life. So they were not qualified as apostles by their gifts and by their graces, for sure. You know, when we start thinking about the disciples, that was a strange group of people. First of all, you had Simon the Nationalist, the Zealot. And then you had Matthew, the tax collector, the publican, who collaborated with the enemy of the Romans. How were they a part of the same group? And yet they were. Then you had Peter, the excitable Peter, who always wanted to do something. He said, let's go, let's do it. And then you had, on the other hand, John, so meditative and so prayerful and so thoughtful. Then you had Andrew. He was so positive about his faith. And then you had Thomas, who was not sure about anything regarding his faith. How could they possibly be in the same group? They were in the same group because all of them had recognized Jesus' call upon their lives. All of them had recognized Jesus' call upon their lives. Somebody said Jesus is not interested in calling extraordinary people. Rather, he's interested in calling ordinary people to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. Let me say that again. He's calling ordinary people to do ordinary things in extraordinary ways. That's what he's interested in. A minister said he'd been laboring in an agricultural community. And he said one time at harvest time, this man died and he left his harvest in the field. He left his wife and three young children. And he said he watched the people in his church. These people went out into his field and harvested his crops rather than their own. They did everything they could to help his widow. He said even at night there would be floodlights out there and they would be working on his crops, not their own. 
After they finished his crops, the dead man's crops, then they worked on their own. For those of us who have eyes to see, there is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of God for those of us who have eyes to see. The work of the kingdom is done by ordinary people, not super intellectuals or anything else, super gifted, just ordinary people. And then the work of the kingdom is also done by people who start small, by people who start small. Listen to this text, and I think you'll get the idea. The twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was so inclusive. How in the world could he say that? How could he possibly say, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Jesus was always reaching out to others. He was inclusive. The Bible tells us how he talked to a Samaritan woman how he told the immortal story of the Good Samaritan, how he healed the daughter of a Syphro-Phoenician woman, how he helped in those ways. He said, go out into the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you somebody who could understand what he was talking about is an officer in the army because an officer always knows you have to be selective in your mission. You cannot just go out and attack everything at one time. You have to be selective. You have to choose a small part before you accomplish great things. When I lived in Dallas, Texas, we had problems in part of the city. And so somebody came up with the idea of adopt a block program. What that meant was people would go into a single block. They would find out the needs. They would fill those needs. They would heal people. They would help them economically. They would help them to get over their crime sprees. And the first thing you know, this Adopt the Program started bringing in the kingdom of God. And then there was Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist. Before he recognized his gift as an evangelist, he went one time to a Sunday school superintendent and he said, listen, I'd like to teach a Sunday school class. And the superintendent said, all right, go out and get your class and you can teach one. What if he had said that to us? But anyway, Dwight L. Moody went on out, and that Sunday he picked up 18 teenagers off the streets. He brought them into his class. And the weeks and months that followed, he picked up more and more young people. Finally, he had to move out of that particular church and go to the city hall and rent it. He had so many teenagers, 800 teenagers, most of them converted, were coming to his Sunday school class. The kingdom of God starts small, but by the grace of God, it grows and it grows and it grows, and it keeps on growing. And then the kingdom of God is whenever and wherever God is given a priority. That's where the work of the kingdom is, whenever and wherever God is given a priority. A minister preached a sermon on the kingdom of God. After it was over, a young boy came and gave him a, a drawing of a castle. And the minister looked at it. He saw at the top, it simply said, God's kingdom underneath Jesus' kingdom. The young man had drawn an arrow through the heart, symbolizing the love of God. At the bottom, he had written, God's rule and Jesus' rule. Now, he was only eight years old, but he already had a wonderful understanding of the kingdom of God. If we're really going to understand the kingdom, then we need to understand the Lord's Prayer. You remember what Jesus taught his disciples to pray? 
He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What we need to see here is, these are two ideas, but they're not two different ideas. These are two of the same ideas. The second elaborates the first. The will of God elaborates the kingdom of God. How important that is. So the work of the kingdom is done whenever and wherever the work of the kingdom is done. My former professor in the seminary was Dr. John Brockoff. He gave us a question that sort of puts us on trail of what I'm talking about here today. He said, who is the Lord of your life? Is it the king am I? I'm the Lord of my life. I make all the decisions. It's all about me. Or is it the king and I? I'm partly the Lord of my life, and Jesus is partly the Lord of my life. He's the boss of some things. I'm the boss of other things. Or is it the king, not I? In other words, Jesus Christ is not only my Savior, he's my Lord and my King. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I ever will be, will be in response to his love for me. How critically important that is. And so the kingdom of God is whenever and wherever the will of God becomes a priority. There was a man in Atlanta who was an outstanding banker. He was a marvelous banker, well respected by everybody. He had one problem. It was with alcohol. He drank alcohol in the morning. He drank alcohol before work. He even had alcohol put in the vault at the bank, and he would drink on that all day long. A couple of years later, this outstanding banker found himself in a rehabilitation center off Briarcliff Road in Atlanta. He said that he was a drunk. He said he was raking leaves with another drunk. And he said, this other drunk said to him, are you a member of a church? And he proudly pulled out his chest and he said, yes, I'm a member of the First Methodist Church of Atlanta. The other drunk said, do you mean to tell me that you belong to a church that would allow this to happen to you? This banker said, he put down his rake, he walked off the property, and he never took another drink in all of his life. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever the will of God becomes a priority. Shakeable, shakeable, shakeable. Everything is shakeable but one thing, the kingdom of God. I want you to join me now, please, in a word of prayer. Oh God, we're so thankful for your kingdom, your rule, especially your kingdom and rule in our own life. We're thankful, oh God, you loved us enough and you have forgiven us enough. And you have empowered us enough to be your people. We pray that you would enable us, O oh God, to walk with you hand in hand, heart in heart, mind to mind, that you may live fully in and through us. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Let me thank you for joining us tonight. And I trust you'll continue to join us week by week. Tell your friends about this ministry. And if we can do anything, I hope you'll contact us at the address that's on the screen. Bless you and have a good night. Amen. Just as I am without... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just like falling apart here. Okay.
Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark plot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I come just as I am.